The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City. Please stand for the reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if, he were, and if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Eric and also Kaya. Yay! You can hear me better now. Um, So my name is Brian Chan. I've been a pastor in L.A. for um, 18 years. I've also been a professor at Biola University for 17 years, teaching in art and faith, theology of beauty, theology of story, faith in film, those kinds of things. And um, ever since um, God called me out of my last ministry as a senior pastor back in June, Uh, Since then, my family and I have been coming here to Story City since October uh, fairly regularly and um, fairly meaning that sometimes I'm not always here, but my family is here because sometimes I might be guest preaching somewhere else, but so thankful to you guys for embracing us and receiving us and welcoming us. My, My son loves coming here. He's nine years old and um, he should be here. He was supposed to be here this service, but, you know, when I left the house this, this morning, nobody was awake. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so they might, I think they're coming at the 11 a.m. one. <laughs> but so glad to have been here um, with you guys. And I've, I felt like I've made such great friendships already in the short amount of time that I've been here. I am moving out of state on May 26th, so I'm sorry about that. I know I, I took a professorship at Dallas Theological Seminary, so I'll be starting there for the, for the summer and the fall. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm glad I get to be here this morning, thankful to Pastor Jared, my fellow pastor, for inviting me to guest preach here, and I'm glad I can do this to support him as he and his wife are taking time away and uh, just getting renewed and refreshed and restored, so I'm glad I can support him in this way. You know, one of the things, having pastored in L.A. for 18 years, I found that people in L.A. wrestle with three critical and very personal questions. It's the who, where, and why questions, and here they are. Who am I? Where do I belong? 
why am I here? Do you resonate with this? I think sometimes we go through seasons and moments of life where sometimes these questions, we're not sure what the answers exactly are, but who am I, where do I belong, and why am I here? And these are questions that are not just the questions for those who are younger and earlier in their career, but they become questions for those who kind of move towards the end of their careers as well, too, when people start empty nesting, when their jobs start to come to a close, or when life shifts unexpectedly. Those questions may come up, and sometimes when success doesn't always appear like you dreamt it would have, as you envisioned when you were um, when you first came out to L.A. But these are very human questions that are vital to a person's potential to thrive, to be able to have a clarity and a confidence, to be able to answer, who am I, where do I belong, and why am I here? To have these answers matters so much to our ability to, th- to thrive in the setting that we are in. But these three questions culminate into one bigger thing, especially for those living in L.A. And what is it that is that bigger thing that these three questions really culminate to, it's in one word, it's vision. Who am I, where do I belong, and why am I here paints a vision for one's life. A vision is like seeing the whole painting and not just the the individual components and strokes of that painting. It's seeing the entire painting as a whole and to embrace the beauty of that piece of artwork. It's in seeing the painting that we grasp the beauty of the whole and bear a sense of conviction for why we are here, the purpose and value for the who, where, and why questions, right? So continuing in the series of aligning with God's heart for a healthy church in 1 Corinthians, today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, which Kaya so lovely read. You'll see how it's about vision in this passage. So would you join me in your Bibles? Because we're going to dig into this passage and carve it up and see especially how the Word of God may do some surgery in our own hearts. So as we turn to God's Word there, um, I'm going to say a prayer for us and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, okay? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord God, for how you work in us. We thank you, God, for your word and how your truths, Lord, become both a foundation for our lives and your truths and your scriptures also do a work inside our souls. Like a master artist who uses a chisel to shape us, so you use your word to shape us. And we pray, God, that this morning your Holy Spirit will be present with us. Holy Spirit, please be our counselor, our guide, and our teacher to illuminate your words to us, that our minds may be enlightened and our hearts may be enriched and our souls may be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look into God's word in here, you'll see in the passage from verses 12 to 14, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The first thing we're given in these verses are, is the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that we are one body composed of many parts, like a painting composed of many strokes. The church is the body of Christ, is the vision that we're first given. So the context is first established for us in this passage. We're first given that big picture, then starting in verse 15 on, the passage begins to address those questions of 
who, where, and why. And let's dissect this passage apart. As we first begin to see in verse 15 and 16, it starts with a very foundational element. This foundational element is core to the choices we make and the actions we commit. It is the core, it is core to our relationships, the type of relationships we foster and how we respond to situations and even to adversity. It is core to our pursuits and our aspirations. What is this foundational element? It is self-perception. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You see, verses 15 and 16 deals first with the issue of self-perception. And self-perception is core because We only choose and act in accordance to how we see ourselves. You don't choose and act in contradiction to how you see yourself. Let me illustrate this with this story that I've told years and years. And I find these days now with social media and online stuff, eventually this story is going to get back to the person I'm referring to because this goes all the way back to when I'm I'm in middle school. And I'm a sixth grader, and I have one of my... First, one of my, because you have many when you're a kid, crushes. Uh, one of my first really serious crush, but as an older girl, she was a seventh grader. And this seventh grade girl, she was one of the popular girls. And she only dated the eighth graders. And they were always the basketball players. They were the athletes. They were the jocks. They were the popular uh, boys that were tall and, 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 and had really nice physique and really nice hairdo. This was in San Francisco. So you can imagine the San Francisco hairdo of the 80s, if you could just picture that. It was that. Me, I was four feet tall, had a bowl-shaped haircut. I was small and little, you know. And I thought to myself, gosh, she is really pretty. But she would never date a guy like me. You know, I'm in sixth grade. I don't know. What, what, what do I know about dating? But I, so in homeroom, it so happens that I befriended her best friend, Teresa. And as in sixth grade would go, I, I'd confess to Teresa that I think Eileen is really pretty. And that's the word I use, really pretty. Teresa was so tickled by this. And of course, what does a sixth grade person do? She goes and tells Eileen. <laughs> so she comes back, you know, the, the next week, you know, for homeroom. And, and I'm mortified that she has told Eileen that I think she, Eileen is so pretty. But then here's the big reveal. Teresa says, but you know what Eileen said? She said, she thinks you're kind of cute. And she said, I know, right? And she said, if you actually asked her out, she would go out with you. I turned beet red <laughs> with my bowl-shaped haircut. It was like I was like an upside-down bowl of apples. <laughs> and so, but what did I do next? Well, every time I saw her, I just ran away laughing, nervous laughter. Ran away laughing and giggling because in my head, I thought she dates the jocks and the popular kids. She would never date a guy like me. So I never asked her out. But what did I say? It said more about not as much what I thought of her as much as what I thought of myself. I would never ask a girl out like her because of how I perceived myself. Actions and choices flow from self-perception. And one of the first things that this passage deals with in verses 15 and 16 is self-perception. But there are three issues about self-perception. The first issue is a problem of deriving your self-perception from comparing yourself to others. That's the first issue. There's a human perception that certain types of people or certain skills that people have are more important than others, than other types of people or other skills that other people have. Certain parts of, the, of a community or a group of people appear more prestigious, reputable, favorable. 
more important. These perceptions are based in society's values and views and standards. It is such a human tendency to do this that we see other people as perhaps being more important in a group setting than yourself. So don't we do this? A lot of times we compare ourselves to others. But there's one psychological aspect in God's word that I want to hone in on. These verses are not addressing how others see you right now. In verses 15, it says, it's basically saying the foot thinks, I am not a hand, so I don't belong. This is about how the foot sees itself as a foot in comparison to the hand. In light of the hand, the issue is defining yourself by what you are not in comparison to somebody else. It is a problem of developing self-perception from comparison with others. This is the foot versus hand mentality issue. God points out that don't define yourself based on what others are, but you are not. See, that escapes what God has done in you and how he has created and defined you because he is your creator. Because now the rubric, the standard has shifted and changed to where self-perception, self-definition is based on a comparison with others around you. Beware of the foot versus hand mentality, which is defining who you are based on what you're not in comparison to what somebody else is. There are always three perceptions of you. There's how you see yourself, there's how others see you, and there's how God sees you. All three of these may differ, actually. You may have three different answers between all three of these perceptions, but one is the most accurate. And sometimes you are not the most accurate about you. And it requires sometimes a humility to even surrender to say to God, God, you see me far more clear than I see myself or anybody else. And I need to surrender to that perspective and the perception that you have of me. I think a key thing in life, a key wisdom in life as you go on your journey throughout life and all the experiences you go through is to develop the ability to see yourself through the eyes of God the one who has made you. That was one of the greatest pieces of wisdom that my youth director gave me when I was in high school. He said, Brian, you know what true wisdom is? True wisdom is being able to see reality through the eyes of God. And how much more for that to apply to oneself? That true wisdom is being able to see yourself through the eyes of God. But there's a second issue with self-perception in verses 15 and 16. The foot says, I'm a foot, but not a hand, so I don't belong here. It's not that the foot doesn't know he's a foot. He's aware that he's a foot. He knows he's a foot, but there's a judgment call that the foot is making upon itself and that he is not as valuable as the hand. There's a comparison factor of worth, of value. The second issue is misjudging your self-worth. Misjudging your self-worth. How do we know verses 15 and 16 is addressing the issue of self-worth? Jump ahead at verse 23, where it talks about how we perceive certain parts of the body as being more honorable. The word honorable in the, in the original Greek text of the scriptures literally means important, distinguished, or valuable. It refers to how people humanly see each other in certain settings where certain positions, personalities, gifts are deemed to be more important or more valuable or more distinguished. And we, we, we value certain people more than others, and this is the foot seeing itself that way that I'm not as worthwhile or as important or as valuable as the next person who has those other gifts or that other personality or that background, their story that they have. God points out that we tend to deem certain people more valuable than ourselves, and it's a human thing that we tend to do in society. And maybe humanly we judge uh, ourselves in this way that is not from God's perspective. 
We devalue ourselves in light of what we think the value of others are. Once more, there's a comparison. Not only a comparison of definition, of perception of self, but it's a comparison of worth. Do you sometimes do this? You know, unconsciously. Sometimes that thought just kind of comes in accidentally and you, you feel as if somebody else contributes something more valuable than what you have to contribute to a certain setting. But here's the problem is that you can't fully grasp who you really are unless you can embrace the worth of who you are. Self-worth and self-identity go to hand in hand. They go together. You can't fully grasp who you are if you don't embrace the worth of who you are. If you devalue yourself, you can't fully understand who you truly are in Christ. When you don't think who you are is important in comparison to others, it compromises your own self-awareness of who you are and the beauty of that. You can't truly know who you are unless you know the worth of who you are, right? Well, there's a third issue, a third issue about self-perception that verses 15 and 16 address as well. And this should break our hearts. It's a statement when a person says, I don't belong here because I'm not like that person. I don't belong here. Have you ever felt that way? In a certain setting where you felt like, I don't belong. Because you look around in a room and everyone's different from you and your, your, your self-perception is a little bit off and your sense of self-worth is a little bit off and now you don't feel like you belong in this group or this setting. The word belong is translated from the Greek term ek. Ek that literally means to be a part of. To be a part of, meaning that you have a place in a certain setting with people. That you have a function or a purpose. There's a spot for you to be a part of. Just like when you look at that painting, every stroke has, it's a part of the painting. It has a spot, a place. There's no stroke that doesn't belong in that painting to create this beautiful masterpiece. That's the sense of belonging. And it's heartbreaking when self-perception and lack of self-worth creates in you a sense that you don't belong in a certain setting. The sense of lack of belonging can connect to a feeling that you, who you are is not as valuable as others. And self-perception and, and self-worth affect our relationships. When you recognize who you are and the value of that as, a, as you as a diverse complement, complementary part of a community, you see how you are a part of that community and you do belong. So how do you realize, how do we solve this? How do you realize your value, your perception, and that you belong in a certain setting? Well, we're going to get to that. But first, there's still one more issue that this passage addresses. It's gone from verses 15 and 16 in there about one's perception of self to now in verse 21. Jump to 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verses 21 and 22 now addresses the perception we have of others. First is perception of self based on comparison with others. Now it's, a, it's an address of perception that we have of somebody else in a communal setting. The eye cannot say to another part of the body, I don't need you. It sounds ridiculous, right? And in fact, you know, in, my, um, in our little mix to mingle with, with Christina, it was just easily revealed very quickly <laughs> that every part needs each other. Right? Because it makes no sense for the eye to say, I don't need the hand. It doesn't make any sense for the, the head to say, I don't, I don't need the liver, the, the heart. You know, I, I, I talk to my son a lot. I'm a lot about, like, health and fitness and, and, and organs. I, I'm a big 
thing about organs and, and how one organ affects another organ. You know, how the lungs can affect the health of the heart and how having a healthy liver affects the, the heart and how having a healthy heart can and affect all your muscles and, and everything affects the other. But here you see in this verse when he uses the word honorable again. The word honorable means that we humanly sometimes judge each other, even if we don't mean to, we judge each other as either being weaker or less honorable, meaning that that part of the body is less distinguished, less valuable, less important. And God does not condone that kind of judging of others, that some par- other part is less important than you or than somebody else based on the differences we have because of the differences of gifts or personalities or positions that we have in the body of Christ. Sometimes we may overlook people and inadvertently devalue people through a lack of recognition of people? Do you notice people when you walk in? Do you notice people who serve and greet them, learn their names, tell them thank you for doing this? We can indirectly foster a culture that communicates who belongs and who doesn't based on us sometimes unintentionally not recognizing people or treating certain people with more attention and with more value than we treat others. When I was uh, in my last church that I was senior pastor that when I first started, within the first week that I was there, I think it was like the first two or three days, I arrived, in, you know, my first Sunday, I think, preaching, and, and um, the executive pastor says, hey, we can get you a, um, a reserved parking space if you want, right here, right next to the front door. You know, reserve parking space. Our, our parking lot was very small. And so a lot of times people had to park on the streets, but I could be offered a reserved parking space. My first question was, do all the staff get a reserved parking space? <laughs> and he said, no, just for the senior pastor, but we can paint that. For, I don't need a reserved parking space. Why should I get a reserved parking space if nobody else says, do you get a reserved parking space? He says, no, I don't. I don't need a reserved parking space then. <laughs> and so, you know, it was one of those things that why should I be treated more of greater value. Just because I'm the pastor, I'm one of you. I'm just part of the body. I'm one part of the entire body. Why should I get greater treatment? And he explained, he's, he said, I, I didn't go that intense on him, by the way. But he explained, he said, no, it's just so that, you know, when, on a Sunday morning, you're not like rushing in, you know, because, you know, I could get up five minutes earlier if I need to walk a little bit. <laughs> There's no problem. Thank you very much, though. In fact, what I end up doing, every Sunday that we had in-person service, I parked two blocks away because there was such limited space on the streets for parking that if there should be a spot right in front of the entrance, let it be for one of our senior citizens. Let it be for our family with little kids. Let it be for our new guests. Let them have that spot. I could park two blocks away. I arrived two hours before the service anyway, and nobody really knew that I did this. I didn't announce it. I announced it here because I'm not the pastor here at this church. I announced it here. I didn't announce it back there. But it was one of those things I just did on my own, and once in a while, somebody might see me walking from two blocks away, and I, you can see them do one of these, like, where did he come from? Because <laughs> we're in this residential area. It's not like there's like, you know, I don't know, in and out, you know, down there. <laughs> so I'm walking in. But there's, there was something that I, for me, I had to do for myself unto the Lord. There's things that I know, I have a position of visibility. Does that make sense? People see me. But there are things that sometimes we have to do that keeps us humble and reminds us that I'm just a part of the body. A, a servanthood where I am here to serve the other parts of the body. I'm not here entitled for special treatment because of my position and what I do. So what are the solutions for right self-perception 
and the perception of others? How can we answer the who, where, and why if, from this passage in, the, in a very robust theological perspective? Here it is. The solution is defined in verse 18. Verse 18, where def- to define yourself and others according to God's design. God's design. In verse 18, it reads, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He arranged. That's the verb. The verb arranged is, is a composing. It is a pulling together. It, it's from the Greek term etheto. Etheto, that literally means to set or put pieces in place. You ever try to create something before and you put pieces in place and they're put intentionally, strategically, so the pieces relate to one another to create a whole. In fact, this is a theme throughout the entire passage of chapter 12. When you look in verse 24, sunakaresan is another word that's used in that verse, which literally means to produce, to compose by combining parts together. God produces or composes by combining parts together. In verses 6 and 11, energe is a a verb of God where it says that God energes the entire body of Christ. He puts forth power. It literally means to put forth power, activate, and empower. Energia, where we get the word energy. He activates each part of the body. Have you ever had a part of your body that suddenly doesn't want to move? Like you get that, you know, you sat in that position for too long and that, that leg doesn't want to, you know, you got that floppy leg. That, it's no good. So God energates that part because if you don't, you, you, then you got to walk like this and it's no good. So God energates that part so you can walk properly. He, ener- he empowers the part. And this is how God acts as creator, designer, artist. He is assembling. He's arranging, he's composing, he's empowering. God's creative activity as creator does not, did not stop with Genesis. It continues on in the world through the body of Christ as he's constantly, as an artist, composing Story City Church with all of its parts. You guys are all strokes in a painting. And no stroke it does, is without a place. So how do you find your design? How do you find your design? Here's something I, I, I put together here. Thank you, sister. Here's something I put together here. It's, it's from the acronym DESIGN. Give some thoughts. As maybe this is something you could do on the Sabbath day today, to take some time before the Lord, to reaffirm this, to discover this, to talk about this with somebody else, to get some feedback. Here's DESIGN. D is for direction. How is God directing your path? What is your calling from him? E is for experiences. What experiences has God led you through in life that has contributed to who you are today? Our experiences are unique to us, right? What we've gone through, the the job experiences, the difficulties, and the, the triumphs. S is for story. What is your story? Where did you come from? What was your upbringing? Where did you originally come from? What was your cultural upbringing? What were the chapters of your life that has led you to this point today that has shaped who you are? I is for individuality. What is your unique personality? There would never be another you in the history of human history. Do you ever know that? <laughs> I think that's one of the most fascinating things. No one will ever have your face. No one will ever have your fingerprints. Okay? No one will ever have your soul. Even I know that we all believe in, you know, many people believe there's a doppelganger for everybody. It makes sense in a lot of sci-fi. <laughs> but theologically, there's never another you in your individuality. What is your temperament? G is for gifts. What, is, what are your spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you? What are your spiritual gifts? 
And there were many different types of assessments that you can go through and take in order to try to find out your spiritual gifts. And there's no better way to find out spiritual gifts than to actually try using them and then having that um, uh, vetted through a community of loving believers, of brothers and sisters, people who affirm you and say, yeah, that is your gift. I'm so blessed when you do that. And there's four natural talents that are different from spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible, but they're natural talents that you may have. Maybe you're a great runner. You know, I used to have somebody who um, was in the, one of the leaders in my ministry, and he was a runner. You know, on, just for fun, he ran 57 miles. All, it took him 10 hours. He told me all through L.A. that he ran. He basically he wanted to run a double marathon on his own. <laughs> you know, right? You did that for fun? <laughs> I can't even last half a mile on a treadmill because <laughs> I get too bored. <laughs> so what are your natural talents and skills? Discover your design from God because he is your artist. He is your creator. Now, you, you take the individual. You're just a stroke. But now we got to put it back into the bigger picture. And the bigger picture offers now an ingredient that is the solution for the issues of self-perception, perception of others, devaluing yourself. Here's the ingredient that's, that resolves that. And it comes first from the basis that God is designer. He designed the body and he created one key factor, one key ingredient in the body that allows us to resolve those issues that we just talked about. And that ingredient is interdependence. Interdependence. There's a word that's in verse 21. The word is need. When the eye says, I don't need you, the implication is, no, the eye does need you, right? The eye needs the hand. In verse 22, it says, it uses the word indispensable. Some parts are seen as indispensable. Other parts are seen as dispensable, right? But with the, the, the passage is saying that all the parts are necessary. They're, they're all indispensable. It come, the word indispensable comes from the Greek term anakagaya, which literally means essential, necessary, cannot do without, and I love this part of the definition, which is even constrained as inherent in the nature of things. Even constrained as inherent in the nature of things. Now, what does that mean? It fits with this whole picture that is being developed in, about God in this passage about him being designer because constrained as inherent in the nature of things means that certain things in nature are born, designed to possess those features. It means that a cat normally has four legs, not three, right? It means that a bird has two wings and a beak. It means that a tree has roots, stem, trunk, branches, and leaves. It is by nature. It's constrained that way. Constraining, it's designed to have those parts and components. These are all by design, God's design. And because they are by design, they are inherently, naturally necessary and essential. So there's no part in the body that where God says that there's no part that's unnecessary or unessential. No matter how humanly we view certain parts and gifts and strengths and talents, no matter how we view it from God's design, every part is essential. And because we need each part, there's the ingredient of interdependence. Right perception, right valuing. Right acceptance of one another as belonging in the body is exercised and reinforced by our interdependence of one another. The eye cannot say to the, to the hand, I don't need you. The, 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 the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the stomach, I don't need you. Interdependence means the flourishing of one part depends on other parts flourishing and succeeding as well. The flourishing of one part depends on another. It's like a giant domino run, 
right? You have one domino. What do you do with one domino? Well, it's one lonely domino. But when you have like a thousand dominoes, you create this domino run. The domino can't say to the domino in front of it, I don't need you. Or the domino behind it, I don't need you. No, you need each other. Otherwise, the domino run doesn't work. You ever tried to do that before? You make this domino run and there's one piece that's off. And you do that thing and Oh, no, one piece was off. Right, you, every piece is needed. Then you got to reset it all. And, okay, is it all lined up? And for those of us who are more like conceptual and like it's close enough, you know, this kind of stuff drives us nuts because you have to be so exact. Every piece has to be in there. Or it's like a Rube Goldberg device, a complex Rube Goldberg machine where it sets off a chain reaction of parts to accomplish one single task at the end. It's like a machine with gears. It's like a machine with gears where every gear has to work. And that you can't say that one piece of gear, no matter how small or big, is not necessary for the entire machine to work. Or for me, it's like when I have taught kung fu (laughs) to a bunch of actors and stunt people. And the the, the question they always want to ask me is, you know, how how do you look like, you know, I don't know some martial artist on screen, and you want to be able to throw a good, hard, strong punch. You know, how do you throw a good, hard, strong punch? And that's what they want to get to. Well, how do you make your fist look strong in a punch where it's connected to the shoulder? Because if the shoulder is off, it looks funny or it's going to get dislocated. But the shoulder is now connected down to the posture. I got to teach them about posture because if, if they arch their back, well, when they hit a, a bag, then all that pressure sits on their lower back. So they got to learn to straighten now. But when they straighten now, now they got to learn about the horse stance. I know that you're not used to senior pastor do this here, but you got to do the horse stance where you have a strong foundation in your thighs right here and your legs because then there's stability in the punch, but then the feet have to be positioned properly because a lot of times the feet are pointing out they got to be positioned firm and flat, and now we're the hand to the shoulder, to the back, to the thighs, and now we're back to the foot again. We're always, always, always coming back down to the foot because now the foot, when the foot is planted, and I tell them you use the earth to support you. So you plant your foot down like roots in a tree, and that provides strength and power through the legs, up through your back, through the shoulder, and through your fists. And the, now they realize what to throw a good, strong punch and make that fist look good. It goes all the way back down to the feet. Yes, it's always back down to the feet. You cannot underestimate every part of the body because there's interdependence. That takes place within the body. And that's the brilliance of what God has done. Because he didn't put you on this earth. He didn't save you through Jesus so that you just be an island. You become a part of something. You become a a part of a domino run, a Rube Goldberg device. You become a part of this entire body that's beautiful and wonderful. And when you have this interdependence, it cultivates what this passage talks about. Three qualities within our church. Humility, honor, and care. In verses 23 to 24, look at that there. There's a sense of humility because we need each other. But there's, now there's honor. God reinforces that even what is perceived to be the weaker parts are given greater honor. There's honors, and it implies that we honor one another because that's what God is doing in the, in the body. And then I love this part here. When you're looking in this verse, as you get down to verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but, there, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Can you imagine walking into a setting and there's a sense of mutual humility towards one another? There's a mutual honoring of one another. You feel distinguished and important because that's given to one another. And there's mutual care that's given to one another. How are you doing? How are you doing? How is your week? And that one person is getting more attention than the other because the body depends upon every part. And here lies the vision.
a vision that is bigger than any one individual because the vision is the body of Christ. But how does answering the who, where, and why for us matter to the vision? Because by God's design of interdependence and the body's diversity, the success of one part empowers the success of other parts. When the foot is truly embracing its self-identity as the foot and knows its value as the foot and knows that it belongs as part of the body, it empowers all the way through down to the fist. So when one part understands it's who, where, and why, it's not just about itself. The foot is not just about, hey, I got, I realize who I am. No, see, this is why this, this passage is about grace, because you realizing who you are and you thriving and flourishing who you are, it starts with that, but it ends with grace because you empower somebody else to thrive. That the fist can be a better fist because I'm a better foot. The, the, the eye can be a better eye because, because the ear is doing its part. The heart can, can be a better heart because the lungs are doing its part. And that's an interdependence. And there lies this great vision. So find your design. Embrace your design with the goal that your uniqueness and gifts fits into a larger body for a greater vision. Cultivate an environment at Story City Church that nurtures and harnesses each other's gifts and distinct qualities, not just your own. Be a part of the body and serve in the body for the greater good of the body. You're a domino that empowers another domino. You're a gear that activates another gear. You're a foot, a hand, or eye, or ear that enables another part. When we, with right self-perception, right perception of one another, figure out the answers to the three questions of who, where, and why based on our design from God, we empower other parts of the body for the body as a whole to be successful. Visualize that. So it's... What is church? Then what is Story City? Is it simply a religious human institution? Is there something supernatural about who we are as the body of Christ? What is Story City? You see, in verse 7, it, it uses the word manifestations to describe spiritual gifts. Manifestation, which literally means revealed or appearance. It is something seen, meaning that the Holy Spirit manifests itself through us when we act in one accord with our gifts and our diversity and our distinctiveness. The invisible is revealed through us so that the existence and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in us and experienced by others so that when someone walks into this room, they see the humility, the honor and care that's given to one another. They see all the parts activated that's working in one accord and they get a taste of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that's at work in us. The diversity of its parts activate one another as one accord with humility, honor, and care. And people will experience the power of the Holy Spirit through Story City Church. Herein lies the vision. Be a part of that vision. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you, God, for how much, Lord, you love us. And what a passionate God you are as this creator with this incredible vision. You're creating a masterpiece out of Story City Church with all its individual strokes and parts. We pray, Father God, first for repentance and forgiveness for ways in which we might have diminished a part in this body. We pray, God, also for repentance where we've diminished ourselves. And we pray, God, that we will submit to your design, your authority, your majesty, and the brilliance of who you are as creator that every one of us might be maximized and find ourselves as part of a community that's a part of a greater vision to manifest your Holy Spirit and Christ 
to the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.